This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. It seems from reading the court records, the boys in particular were the ones who suffered the most of, of this horrific punishment, if you can even call it that. A lot of the world didn't know this was happening or didn't pay close enough attention to see it was happening. For a child left in the system, passed from foster home to foster home, adoption is a new beginning, a new life with a new family, hope for a new future. But imagine that new life being overshadowed by sadness and cruelty. Imagine those new parents as a child's worst enemy. This week, we go to Tennessee, where two reporters are following a case that puts the spotlight on a system that lets some kids fall through the cracks, and sometimes even worse. The district attorney essentially put out kind of a mysterious press release that caught our eye. It was a child abuse case and a bad child abuse case. It didn't have nearly as many details as we later learned. But I called him and I drove out and I made him stay late on, I think, Memorial Day on Monday, 5.30 or so. I did an interview with him and um, as I was leaving, we kind of talked through some of the details of the case and he said, just wait, it's a lot worse than than I can tell you right now. That's Cole Sullivan, a reporter at WBIR in Knoxville, recalling that Memorial Day Monday earlier this year when this case first got his attention. And he made the trip to Roan County, about 45 minutes west of Knoxville in East Tennessee. And that's how we first found out about it. And then I covered it every day that week for, for those five days straight, talking about this case. And every day we learned something new and something horrible from the case from the warrants or the indictments or the documents that we were able to find or, or information from law enforcement. Investigators say they found the skeletal remains of a child on the property on Dry Fork Valley Road in 10 Mile. The DA says Michael Anthony Gray Sr. and Shirley Gray faced several charges, including aggravated kidnapping, child abuse, neglect, and abuse of a corpse. John North is an investigative reporter and producer at WBIR. Along with Cole, he remembers the day the news first broke about Michael and Shirley Gray. It was weird to suddenly have this massive news break out and it's a federal holiday and you're like, oh crap, How? what are we going to do? How are we going to get this? And, and bits of it had been posted, I think, as Cole said, on the DA's website. And there's another local journalist who kind of does freelance work and he'd gotten a tip uh, to be there for the perp walk. So he was in the parking lot at in Roan County and he did the perp walk and the story just kind of blew up all of a sudden. It's like, bam. But with the mention of multiple children involved and adoptive parents in custody, there was a reason the DA's press release was getting so much attention. And John and Cole jumped right into the story. They had no idea just how dark it would get. As we started to learn, I think that first day it was we've arrested two people, a husband and wife, we've charged them with these crimes against their adopted children. Um, They have been charged with essentially aggravated child abuse and aggravated child neglect, but we didn't have many of the details of exactly what happened. The next day is when we started to get some of those details with an arraignment that happened. Um, The next day, 
and I went out to the house. It's it's a ranch style house in a very rural area. They also had a number of dogs, a number of like Chihuahua, small little dogs outside their home barking. And you can hear that in the video from that day that I still shot. It has all these dogs barking in the backyard. It was a, at that point they were in jail. And we began to learn just kind of the horrors that happened inside that house. Um, a number of adopted children that that they had, we later uh, learned fostered and then adopted, we believe, these children. They locked two of the boys in the basement. One of the boys, they locked him there for four years in the basement and wouldn't let him come out of the basement. They fed their children really a starvation diet of light bread and water, according to authorities. But as the investigation continued and more was revealed, Cole and John started to learn the extent of the horror that took place inside the Gray's home. We learned that Michael Gray Sr., um, the patriarch of, of this family, had admitted to several things, including keeping um, his children locked in the basement and burying one girl who died in the backyard of the house underneath a barn where he kept other kinds of farm animals, um, originally keeping her body in a, a cardboard box. Um, and that's, that's what he told authorities and then they conveyed to us. Once Mr. Gray Sr. began to talk, the deputies and the investigators realized they had something pretty horrific on their hands. And that's kind of what set everything into motion. And I think we all can infer from what he told them about Roan County that it then in that same interview probably came out that they used to live in Knox County and that they might find a dead child in the, in the yard of the house where they used to live over here in Knox County. But that was sort of to come. As Cole says, all of this happened, what, originally on like a Friday or Saturday? And so quietly, we didn't know it yet, but they began to dig at that home in Roan County and then came over here and began to dig over here as well. The girl we learned died in early um, 2017. She wasn't found until May 2020 when this investigation began. And John, I don't know if we know her exact age, but she was she was young. She wasn't, I don't think we, I think preteen is the understanding that I have. Is that is that what you think too? Yeah, preteen for sure. I'd have to look back at the charges, but I wanna say she was eight or younger. We don't know a lot about these children. We do know the boy's name was Jonathan. I, he was probably close to the same age as the girl. Her name was Sophie, and the boy would have been close in age to her. So somewhere around seven to nine, I think. Again, I, I they haven't released a whole lot of details about the specifics of these children. We've discerned this from uh, court records that Cole and I have gotten, like search warrants. Not one, but two burials. Two children given a new home, a new family, and then somehow their young lives ended. Cole and John continued their own investigation and reporting. They determined just how many children the Grays had adopted over the years. We knew about four from doing our own reporting. We knew, uh, although as, as people may realize, adoption records are completely confidential. You have absolutely zero access to anything about adoptions in the court system. You cannot find it, um, and that's proper. But we were able to figure out uh, through some work that we knew of four children that they had adopted. Actually, later on, we learned there were five 
uh, another girl that we didn't know about. But we knew about four children for sure who had been adopted here in Knox County through the court system in Knox County. Two boys and a girl um, are still alive, um, ages 11 to 15. That fifth girl, she might have escaped some of what the other children experienced the two who are no longer alive and the two who survived. It sounds like maybe she has not suffered the kind of abuse authorities say the other four children did. When when they interviewed these children, the other children did not mention this girl has having also been subjected to being put in a cage or being locked downstairs or having this limited diet. So we 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 wonder about her, but we don't know a lot. It seems from reading the court records, the boys in particular were the ones who suffered the most of, of this horrific punishment, if you can even call it that. Um, Michael Anthony Gray Sr. at one point told investigators that, or indicated to investigators, they say it's because they were trying to steal food out of the refrigerator that they were punished and locked in the basement. Cole and John continued to work on the story as first the news of one and then two dead children came to light. And uh, frankly, my mind at that point was just blown because it, 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 all of a sudden this case was so much bigger. It felt so much bigger than it did before. And still there was no word what had led to the death of Jonathan and Sophie. Was it the result of lack of food and water? Was it sudden or violent? Even now, many months later, that question remains for Cole and John. Autopsy results are still sealed. I reached out to them again last week, and while the autopsies have now been completed, they say uh, at the Knox County, or I guess the Regional Forensic Center in Knox County, they are sealed. But the other question you might be asking does have an answer. That question is why. Why would the Greys adopt these children? only to leave them locked inside a basement, malnourished and abused. It was always our hunch that there was a financial motive behind this. Uh, was not confirmed um, initially by law enforcement, but I know I always sat back and said, uh, they're adopted kids, these are older adults, there has to be a financial reason that they're doing this. They also had um, a record of bankruptcies and just failing to pay their bills. They're originally from Mississippi, and then they moved here to East Tennessee. So you began to think, uh, and it appeared there might, might be some workers' comp issues with Mr. Gray Sr. So that made me suspicious that they were relying on these kids for uh, payments, and they were living off the payments because it didn't appear that either of them worked. It's just kind of a sad situation where uh, it becomes an opportunity for some people to make a living or to subsist without having to work. If you can get pay payments from the state uh, for adopting uh, children or, or just taking in a bunch of kids, it's unfortunate, but it happens. Like you say, it happens everywhere. It's happening right now. We found from a state senator they were making $3,600 a month in state payments from the state and federal government through the Department of Children's Services, the program designed to encourage foster parents to adopt their kids. The, the issue that this state senator now says he's trying to fix is there's no oversight. Once a parent adopts a child from the foster program, DCS no longer checks in for visible check-ins. And so this family, according to the state senator, was able to make $3,600 a month without any oversight from the state government. Big surprise, right? I, um, uh, Tennessee is a state that prides itself on 
uh, running uh, tight government, not spending a whole lot of money if it can on government. And the flip side of that might be not spending too much money on oversight as well, which, as we all know, as veteran journalists, some people will work to their advantage eventually. And in this case, working the system for that monthly payment resulted in the death of both Jonathan and Sophie and countless days of abuse and neglect over the period of years. It's, it's horrifying. It, it, it's just a horrifying story. There's no other way to put it. And in particular, covering it every day, the way it trickled out, it, it just, it, you couldn't believe what the next development was because you can't believe that people would do something like that or the something like what prosecutors say they did. What you think about are the children who, one, uh, to begin with, had already been put in a, a heartbreaking situation. Whoever their natural parents were uh, aren't around anymore. So they're taken in by this older couple to live. And then, according to the authorities, they are subjected to inhumane conditions. They are, according to prosecutors, subjected to a nightmare situation that they seemingly can't get out of. In fact, were it not for a chance meeting with one of the children and the concern of a neighbor, the Grays might still be collecting that monthly check. One of the adoptive boys was out in the neighborhood over there in Roan County and apparently got lost because he wasn't able to go outside because they kept him, according to investigators, confined all the time, but he was outside on this day and he didn't know where he was. And the neighbor saw him and said, "Do you know, where are you? Do you know where your parents are? And that's what led to all of this. I, I spoke with her. She didn't want to do an interview, but I spoke with her and she said, this little boy just wandered into her yard one day and she described him as looking dirty and really small, like he hadn't been, he wasn't as uh, big as he should be for the age he said he was. And she said, this isn't right, and called police. That's what led to him being brought back to the house. And that's what led to questions that, that grew and grew. And suddenly this, according to prosecutors, this ruse of this couple raising these five children fell apart. And because of her, these kids were rescued um, from what prosecutors describe as a horrible situation. In fact, other neighbors, first in Knox and then in Roan County, say they had no idea what was happening behind the walls of the Gray's home. Talking to neighbors both in Knox and Roan County, they didn't think anything was amiss. The next door neighbors in Roan County were really horrified, obviously, to find out all of this that prosecutors say was happening next door. They only thought that the Grays had one child, the girl who may have not been um, subjected to the same kind of, of uh, allegations that the others were. They had no idea there were other kids in the house. You know, had my husband and I even had an inkling that there was children in that basement, never would have even hesitated to call for help for them. But we just had no idea. Over the summer, as the investigation continued, police would make another arrest in the case, this time the biological son of the Greys. Breaking news this morning, Knox County Sheriff's deputies have arrested the adult son of a couple charged in a high-profile child abuse case that spans two counties. His name is also Michael Gray, Michael Gray Jr. in this case. He owned this house in Knox County where they all lived for a period of time, records indicate. 
and he's been charged with these same crimes now for what happened, prosecutors say, in that house in Knox County where they found that body buried in the backyard of, of the little boy, Jonathan. The Gray's long list of charges today include four counts of murder, aggravated child abuse and neglect, aggravated and especially aggravated kidnapping, falsification of education records, theft, and abuse of a corpse. Again, a Roan County grand jury returned this indictment today. They've all been now indicted in one county or another. The elder Grays indicted in both Roan County and Knox County for murder. It's important to note they've been charged in theft-related crimes for the alleged uh, theft uh, involving the money that they were paid. One aspect of the deception, according to prosecutors, is that Shirley Gray claimed to be homeschooling the children, when in fact they weren't getting much of any schooling at all. According to some of the uh, court records we have, she was doing the homework and submitting it on, on their behalf. Um, because obviously some of these kids have been locked literally in the basement for four years. Putting it all together now, investigators have determined a timeline of the events, how long it's been since Jonathan and Sophie were last alive. We believe that, or at least the charges allege, that Sophie was killed sometime between uh, January and March of 2017, right, Cole? And Jonathan was killed in, they think, 2015 or 16. Right, and the the couple, we believe, moved from Knox County to Roan County in 2016. So Jonathan was killed 2015 or 2016 in Knox County, and, and Sophie died sometime after that in Roan County. For now, the Grays remain behind bars. And questions, questions about how Sophie and Jonathan died still linger. If this case goes to trial, I think we'll learn more. Um, every step of this case, we've learned hor details from prosecutors um, that paint a really horrifying picture. And I fear that there's more that we don't know. My guess would be that at least the there's a boy that Cole alluded to who was 15, I think, when all of this sort of came down in May. And my hunch would be when this goes to trial, if it does go to trial, because this boy was interviewed by Roan County authorities and maybe Knox County authorities that we might hear from this boy. He might take the stand. Uh, he would be probably 16, 17, maybe 18 years of age by the time this thing goes to trial, if it goes to trial. And I would think, based on how they relied on him to help gather evidence in this case, that they might call him and... We don't know who he is. He might be willing to testify. So we will probably learn more uh, from somebody like him. Knox County prosecutors have said they plan to try all three of the Grays at the same time, at some point in the future. But, you know, it's possible this could all get pleaded out because the elder Grays are in their early 60s, I think. And they might just want to go ahead if they have the opportunity to plead, they might plead. Reed Redmond here with Will Johnson and Spencer Brittig. And Will, this story is just one of the more awful ones we've covered. I mean, we don't cover a lot of happy stories, but this was just hard to listen to. Um, as someone who's not really familiar with the adoption process, my assumption is that it's really different from state to state, but at least where this happened, I'm just shocked that there's no sort of in-person follow-up after an adoption takes place. Um, it just seems like a system where where kids are are bound to fall through the cracks. Yeah, I mean, I'm certainly no expert on the adoption process in Tennessee, but talking to John North and Cole Sullivan at WBIR, you know, it certainly seems like there 
could be some real issues. Um, and we also hear, you know, a state senator getting involved and in trying to troubleshoot what's going on. I, I can tell you that WBIR did some follow-up reporting about the adoption process in Tennessee, and they talked to uh, Harmony Family Center, uh, and, and they place a lot of the kids who are in need of adoption into permanent homes. And at the time of their reporting back in summertime, June of 2020, there were more than 800 kids in need of a permanent home in Tennessee. So you can just imagine the number of kids looking for, you know, a family, and Harmony Family Center helps to find a safe fit for those kids. And actually, uh, the person they spoke to at Harmony says the Tennessee's adoption process is strict compared to other states, according to her. Uh, And she says when they start looking for families and potential parents. She said it was invasive, or it is invasive. It involves commitment and time on the prospective parent to go through the process. And they, you know, they they really dig in family, medical, psychological history, fingerprinting, background checks, and they have an eight-hour adoption prep training course that follows. So, you know, it's not like these kids are just being turned over to anyone. How this happened with the Grays certainly raises eyebrows and, you know, brings up a lot of questions. Uh, you know, about the whole process in Tennessee and elsewhere. Yeah, and for me, the big thing was, you know, that they adopted five total children. And I, I, understand, I get it, it that, you know, you're looking for potential parents. You have all these kids that need permanent homes. Um, it's a, I'm sure there's, it's a rigorous process, but man, it's, it, I, I just don't understand how, you know, two of these children had already been buried, uh, I'm assuming, um, by the time that you know these other two were adopted, and and they didn't check in on where the previous children went, I that is the thing that really just was baffling to me. Yeah, I mean, I would have to go back and make sure that that's right, Spencer, with the ages of all the kids. But it does seem like that's a possibility. Well, my my impression too is that we also wouldn't have necessarily found out about what was allegedly going on at this house through any sort of oversight body or anything like that. Uh, the information that led investigators to that house actually came from one of the children who'd gotten away, right? Right. And that, as we as we tell in the story, was just, you know, a happenstance that this child was out and got lost, went to a neighbor's house, and the neighbor started to put things together. So it's a miracle that this even came to light. You know, child advocates say that even with the most intense vetting during foster and adoption processes, there are people out there with ill intent. So it's kind of like you can have bad guys anywhere and there are bad folks involved in the adoption process. It it really is horrific to think about. All right, uh, Spencer, where can people go to talk more about this story and others that we've covered here on True Crime Chronicles? Yeah, you can check us out on Facebook at Inside the Crime Vault. It's a group of 5,000 members that uh, will talk about this case and other cases like it. So check us out on Facebook. Yeah, and I'll add that some folks actually send us ideas, cases that they've heard about or want to hear more about, missing people, unsolved cases, what have you. So you can certainly do that there as well. All right, for True Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson, along with Reed Redman and Spencer Brudig. We'll be back next week with a new case and a new story.